Good morning, everybody. I hit record. Didn't even know I was recording. It is the 27th of October, and this is No Easy Answer. We're back at it. Or, I guess I should say, I'm back at it. Uh, but if you're listening with me, that makes it us. Um, so, welcome. Welcome, welcome to No Easy Answer. I have been just ridiculously out of the loop because I've been moving and just anything and everything and getting the house set up and things packed and moved and fixed, mostly fixed and adjusted and whatnot, are just about there. I'm hoping within the next two weeks I'll have everything really in a good spot before I can really start tackling some major projects. Like, there's a whole room that doesn't have any insulation in the attic whatsoever, so I gotta go up there and do some work on that. In any case, uh, well, it's not really attic, the space above the house, whatever that is, crawl space. Anyways, you get the idea. And it's getting cold today. It's like 37 degrees outside. And that's cold for Texas. That's where I'm at, by the way, if you didn't know. Um, So, all that to say, welcome back. I'm going to be a little bit out of sync with what I talked about last time because I can't remember everything. I kind of have some vague memories of what it was and I really haven't had time to sit down and listen to the last podcast. Probably because, A, I hate listening to my own voice. Uh, and then B, I just have had so much other stuff going on. So, all I have to say, and it's kind of raining and misting, so if you hear those really scratchy wipers in the background, that's what's going on. Um, don't freak out. So, welcome, welcome, welcome back to No Easy Answer. The election is in, today's Tuesday, next week. Oh my goodness. And I actually had someone ask me who I was voting for, which I thought, wow, I'm going to be able to get through this and nobody's going to ask who I'm actually voting for. But someone did ask, and so I had to uh, respond to them. And I am going to do a whole session on voting, on different forms of government. So we'll get into democracy, and voting will be a subset of that. But I'm not doing that right now, actually. And that's very much on purpose. Uh part of my response, I said, you know, the temptation of Satan towards Jesus, one of his temptations was that to power. And again, as I mentioned in a previous podcast about the kingdom of, uh, about, Tim, oh, what was it talking about? The kingdom of God and temptations. Um, uh, I forgot what I was even talking about. I don't know what it was. Oh, um, anyways, something like that. The cosmos, that's what I was talking about. Thank you, the cosmos. I was talking about the temptations uh, towards power and how when Satan tempted Jesus, that temptation was a temptation towards power, but it's through worship. You're giving worship, you're giving attention, you're giving importance to uh, the structure of government and power. And so I'm going to talk about voting, but I'm not going to do it right now because I'm not going to give it at worship. Um, I'm going to talk about it when it may seem like it's not very relevant, but it actually is very relevant, and that's in times when it's not time to vote. So, you're better prepared for when it is time to vote. All I have to say, I believe it is important to vote in this election, not because it's a question of giving worship or because this is the most critical election ever. I mean, every election is the most critical election of its time, period. But because the unity of this country is under severe attack, and uh, I know the devil is a divider, he wants to divide us. And I feel like one of the best ways we can do is if we all stand, at least in unity, in voting. And then, because everything about the election is being called into question, if more people vote, the more people that vote, the more legitimate um, the election is going to be. So, 
I'm encouraging everyone to vote because it is very important, even just for the legitimacy of the election itself, to be held up. Um, and again, I know that might be saying, well, then you're saying the government's important. Well, it, it does have a role to play, and that's kind of what we're talking about. Um, so, and I don't believe that a descent into total chaos and, and doubt and attacks and divisions is a good thing. That's a great way for the devil to do lots of stuff. It's also a great way for God to do a lot of stuff, but but there can be a lot of unnecessary deaths, violence, uh, and other things. So today, we're continuing to talk about neutral structures. And in the last one, this is going to be two or three podcasts kind of dedicated to this, and this is really kind of where we get into um, some of these questions about what do we do when these neutral structures, and again, I talked about, let me take a step back, I'm sorry, a little distracted today, a little all over the place, that's okay. I talked about some evil structures, structures that are really predicated upon the purpose of committing evil, that is, doing things that are work against God's purposes in the world and within us. Um, there are also good structures, structures that maybe God himself even set up. But even so, these structures, they have a, a purpose, they have an intention, but many times they can lose and go, as, go awry and go astray of what their intention and their purpose is, and they can actually convert, be converted into something that is not of their original making and purpose and intent, and what we as Christians are called to do in those cases. And that leaves a whole gamut of things in the middle, these neutral structures, and these can be structures that are, again, established by God, but they're not necessarily dedicated to something in, in the purpose of seeking out God. Um, they can just be, you know, something that can be used for good or bad or really neutral. We can talk about businesses. We can talk about uh, governments on all levels, from national down to the very smallest uh, local level. Um, you can talk about something like a library. You can talk about anything. There's all these different types of structures or media or anything of these things which really can be considered neutral because they're not predicated upon doing evil and they're not predicated upon doing good. I'm sure they'll say they are doing good, but really their essence is they exist to exist and to support themselves. So, um, talking about these neutral structures and specifically through the lens of violence, the question becomes how do we really go after these structures and understand them what happens when we get to a point where we as Christians are really truly called to interact with them in a good way? Now, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, but I think the majority of all structures are going to run into are neutral structures. And these are the typical structures. I know it's very annoying. I'm sorry. The typical structures are the ones that we interact with on a daily basis. So uh, you go, if you have a job and you go to work, then you're interacting with the structure which is your work, your business, the place you work at. If you have your own business, you've created a structure that you're interacting with daily. Um, as you drive there, like I'm doing right now, you're driving on the roads. Those roads are supported by some sort of local government or state government or even a federal government if it's an interstate. And that was all the structures that go into the design, the support, and the maintenance, and the building of all those roads. That also is a structure. Uh, and then you got to figure out how does that structure maintain itself? How does it get the money to pay the people to go out and fix the road? And you're talking about taxes. And then... Um, the food you get, how that food gets you from the ground to your mouth. There's a whole structure that's multiple structures that are in place to help you get there. Um, everything, all the clothes you wear, the cars you drive, all these things are put together as part of these structures, which is something done beyond the scope of just the individual. 
And we live in a society in a time where structures abound. <laughs> structures abound everywhere. And the work of an individual is typically seen as a component, something added to within that structure that helps create an object or a product or something um, that is now given to the rest of the structure. So there's really a whole ecosystem of structures interacting uh, with each other, competing against each other, collaborating with each other, um, supporting each other, and just tons and tons of interactions in the structural ecosystem in which we live, which we call society. So, um, the, the question I want to explore today is, what happens when a neutral structure is under attack? What happens when a neutral structure, um, either through offensive measures or defensive measures, becomes violent? Is there a way for a Christian to stand up and defend a neutral structure? Or even defend a good structure. I think we've talked about that a little bit. Um, but now we're going to talk about neutral structures. And this, this can really encompass a whole set of things. So let's talk about, uh, I mean, we can talk about a country, a neutral structure as a government, and it is under attack, a physical violent attack from another country. This is also known as an act of aggression, and it can turn out into war. And so these movements of violence that occur between the structures of government, war as it is, um, are just hotbeds for violence and destruction and all sorts of crazy things that go on with that. Uh, and I want to talk about war kind of on a whole different topic, but I mean, this is one of the places where that can show up. Um, we can talk about even a police force that is um, under attack or that is using violence to pursue certain means. I, I think I, I, I talked about that a fair amount in the previous podcast. I'm not going to go back there. Um, we can even talk about a company who is using uh, violence to subvert its competition. And we can talk about the use of stealing, spying, um, and even straight-out violence where they will do intimidating tactics to its people. We could talk about a union uh, that is striking against a company, and then when people come into work, uh, they attack the people that are trying to take their position or to support the company while they're striking, or vice versa. The company can be intimidating the people that are part of the union and attacking them. We can talk about the company who's trying to intimidate its own workers so they don't ask for more stuff. Um, there's all sorts of different things we can do, we can talk about with these structures. And so the big question I'm trying to look at is just in general, what is the response of a Christian to violence as it occurs within these structures? We could also talk about uh, political violence where, hey, and this could become very real, is why I'm encouraging people to vote, where the legitimacy of this election is called into question. Um, and so whatever the results are, they could be said, no, this is not correct, this is not true, and there could be violent responses to that along party lines. You could have people that are wanting to go, and may not even be along party lines, it's more along ideological lines, which seems to be definitely the case. And there's many, 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 many ideologies out there right now, and there are many of them for which people are willing to arm up, there's many for which people are willing to peacefully protest. There's many for which people are uh, willing to intimidate and coerce other people through the threat of violence. So 
we're living in a time where this is a hot topic issue because it is right here, right now. So, um, with all that said, let me just again put down some ground rules for us as, as Christians. Now, if you're not Christian listening to this, I'm sure, I'm sure many of you are listening to this and be like, well, I know these Christians, they do this and they do that. And yes, yes, absolutely. I know you do. I know them too. Um, I am probably one of them, or I have been at some point. And when we look at the idea of a Christian, we're looking at an imperfect being that is many times associated with a group of imperfect beings, aka a gathering of these imperfect beings, also known as a church. And there's a lot of imperfections that come out of that grouping of imperfect beings. So in no way or shape are we ever trying to say, listen, a Christian is a perfect, complete being, and uh, everyone else is, is, and all of them represent exactly what God is trying to say and do within the world. Far from it. Um, We're all fallen beings. We're all in need of God's grace and love and mercy, and we're all messing up constantly. And even the things we promote are many times very far removed from the heart and purposes of God in this world and within us. And so I, as a Christian, if you're listening to this, ask you forgiveness. I repent of the ways that we as Christians have failed constantly, almost dependably throughout the centuries and in this very moment. Um, We very often and almost constantly and continuously fall prey to the temptations of this world, um, which we are called to repent of and walk away from. And so I ask your forgiveness of that because we have, in a very large way, completely failed. Um, And I'm sorry for that. My encouragement to you is if you're interested in Christ, if you're interested in God, if you're interested in Jesus, look to Jesus. (laughs) We are very sorry and sore representations of our Lord and Savior. Um, And I I beg your forgiveness for all the discrepancies you see between him and us. And that is true of all of us, and myself very much included. So, all I have to say, and if if you really expect everyone to be part of any religion to be perfect according to his followers, man, best of luck on that one. (laughs) Best of luck. Um, yeah, anyways, you're not going to find it. So, all right. Now, with that said, (laughs) with our continuous failings in front of our faces, Lord have mercy, um, our call as Christians is to be salt and light within this world. We are to be with Jesus at the center of who we are and the world right there next to us. And we're to be salt and light. And the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus goes up the mountain, his disciples come to him, and then you see the rest of the crowds out there behind the disciples. That's the role of the church in the world. We are supposed to be a Jesus Church world sandwich. We're supposed to be in the middle. Jesus is at our center, and the world is right there in contact with us as we are shining out God's light, as Jesus really preached it out in the Sermon on the Mount. If you really want to see what Jesus is about, read the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 5 through 7. And you'll get a very good idea what this is about. I'd recommend all of us as Christians to read that very consistently and continually um, to remind us of what Jesus is truly about. Um, so, much of that includes loving your enemies. Um, much of that includes doing good to those that hate you. 
much that includes a very uh, strict adherence to what the world will call antiquated morality, which is hilarious because it's called antiquated morality since the day it was preached. Uh, and so, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Oh, that's so old-fashioned. It's been old-fashioned since it was ever spoken on Mount Sinai. It was old-fashioned then, quote-unquote. Um, but that's what it's always been. The world is always going towards something else, and so even if it's considered prudish or pious or whatever by the world, so be it. That's not anything new nor different. That's always been the the realm of attack, and yet we're called to it. Um, We're called not to hate, but to love. We're called not to uh, adultery or lust, but we're called to covenant relationships with our spouses. Um, We're called to be light and salt in, in the world, and that means that we got to be out there shining, and that means that we got to be out there in contact with the world. That's all there. That means our words mean yes and no, and that is sufficient. We don't need anything else beyond that. Um, we should not be people of contracts, but we should be people of integrity. Uh, there's all these things that really go there, and so and that really sets us up in contrast to the world and the way that we're supposed to act and do things. And again, we fall very short of this. But again, many times our eyes are not set on Jesus. Our eyes are set on the things of this world, and we're doing what everybody else is doing, and that's very sad. So, with all that, um, I don't see how the Christian is really called to a point of violence. And I've talked about this previously, to really stand up and defend much of any kind of structure, much less the things of God. Um, I follow the example of Jesus himself who was willing to lay down his life uh, that we may all live and it seems like everyone else that was following him got the point because all of those disciples that were with them the great majority of them also willingly laid down their lives they submitted to violence via structures via crowds, via individuals and did not fight back did not resist but gave down but laid down their lives for the cause of Christ and they were willing to do so. Uh, they chose to do so. And they chose not to fight back nor resist. And so I believe that the true essence of Christianity is to follow the footsteps of our Savior. And that ultimately leads to the cross. That ultimately leads to an execution, a violent execution. Um, and again, that's why so many of us fall incredibly short. Because we love our lives. A little more than we love Christ. Um... I admit, I'm one of them too. <laughs> it, it is not just like, oh, you decide at once. It's a constant decision. Even St. Francis one time, he was so convicted by this that he was, con- he was convinced that he needed to be martyred. And so he went down. He left Italy. He left Europe. He went down to, uh, to the Middle East. I can't remember exactly where he went, if he got all the way down to Saudi Arabia or if he just was in Turkey. And he started preaching to the Muslims there with the hope that he was going to get his head cut off. Uh, because he was convinced that to be like Christ was to lay your life down and be to be killed and martyred. And so he looked purposely to be martyred and to be killed. So he went down there to preach to these people so that they would kill him, uh, hoping to be killed by them in the most gory and, and uh, painful way possible. And instead, everyone he preached to converted. <laughs> they all became Christians. And he's like, dang it, why don't these people kill me? <laughs> So he just kept preaching. They kept getting converted. He finally gave up and went back to Italy. So um, (laughs) all I have to say 
there are many cases where there have been Christians who have understood this principle and they've willingly put it out there and, and many of them have paid with their lives and the case of St. Francis, he, he was not allowed to. <laughs> he just was allowed to bring a lot of people to Jesus. So, can we defend a structure? Can we defend uh, something that is actually a neutral or even a God-given structure with violence? And I would say strong-heartedly, no. No. Um, first of all, we need to remind ourselves these structures are part of the order. They're part of the cosmos. They're part of this thing that God has set up. But they are not God himself. And the temptation and the deception that we walk into is that we begin to think that these structures are God's representatives, that these structures actually do imbibe something of the Spirit of God within them. And so when we see God under attack, it's natural for us in our natural flesh to stand up and to want to defend it. However, again, that is not the way of Christ. God, time after time after time, even in the extremely old and um, sorry, extremely violent Old Testament, time after time after time, God delivers his people without them even having to raise a sword once. He protects them and he delivers them and he saves them from impending attack and doom by doing some sort of miraculous type thing where the, the attackers and the oppressors just even attack themselves or they're wiped out by a natural disaster or they're caused to flee by uh, terror. And so God does something miraculous, in which case they don't need to defend themselves. Now, there were times where they did need to take up a sword and actually fight and defend themselves. That definitely does exist. I'm not saying it does not exist. But I'm saying the full glory of God, I believe, is completely shown when he comes and defends his people against uh, the attacks of the evil one and those he has under his sway by some sort of miraculous means. Now, you'll see I'm talking about the people of God and the temptation and the deception that we're constantly brought into is that the people of God are represented via these structures or these structures somehow imbibe or embody the people of God. So let me bring up something here typically and and I'm just going to go after some things right now. So again, very most evangelicals are going to vote on the right. They're going to vote with the Republican Party um, and a lot of that is because the abortion issue and I understand that. I'm completely anti-abortion myself. Don't please doubt that. God is a God of life. He's not a God of death. And I'm going to talk about abortion. There's a lot we can talk about that because that is also a violent act. That's on the list. Um, So stay tuned. That's coming up. But uh, the idea that God is only pro-abortion, this is the only thing that God cares about, I think is sadly misguided and deceived. And so when one party in particular says, hey, we support abortion, and the other party, because there's only two, Uh, that really are considered to be major players here. Um, The other party says, no, we want to undo abortion. Well, now you say, okay, so God defends abortion. I mean, God God is anti-abortion. God does not defend abortion. God defends the unborn. And so to support and to defend the unborn, which God is all about, I have to therefore support the party that defends this. And so we begin to think, aha, this structure is the key, is the vehicle, is the way um, 
is the element by which God is going to undo this uh, this sin, this uh, this abortion, this evil thing. Therefore, I must support. Therefore, I must. I'm sorry, I'm getting a call. Therefore, I must support this uh, this party, this structure, because that's the way by which this evil will be undone. I would highly, highly, highly disagree. Um, now, there's a lot of practical reasons and there's a lot of spiritual reasons, but I would say this. A political party, again, many times is a neutral structure. There are political parties that are evil structures. They're bad structures. Uh, they promote things that are most definitely against the regime of God. Let's be clear about that. But to think that a political party is a good structure is completely warping and misidentifying what it is. We have to understand clearly and truly what is a political party. Um, and even by political party, I kind of want to wrap up with that ideology as well. Because again, ideology forms the basis forms the guiding ideals of a political party. However, the structure itself is subject to corruption. It is subject to reality. And so when ideas hit reality, compromises must and have to be made. That is the job of the politician, to take these ideals for which they are elected or appointed to fight for and to put into practice and meet the reality of the situation and try to figure out some way ahead incorporating these ideals, but knowing they got to chuck some of them to actually make this thing work. That's the job of a politician, and I don't envy that job at all. That sucks, because everyone that's sitting there voting for you is many times motivated ideologically, many times they're motivated by their own needs and necessities, many times they're motivated by what is currently going on, and so there are many reasons for people to vote, but I know that many people that do go into politics, not all, but some of them, are ideologically motivated. They have some sort of ideal they're fighting for. However, it does not take long for them to get into position, see what the reality is to actually make things happen, and realize, oh, man. They're fighting for their ideals, but to get it to go, it's not easy. You know, this is like the... Uh, it's kind of like... I don't know what to say. Um... <laughs> trying to think of, it's like, I do a lot of permaculture and gardening, and, you know, it's like all this wonderful ideals about, you know, working with nature, not against nature, and then you get out there, and, and I have a million roly-polies eating all my plants. I'm like, all right, so now what do I do? Either I have to do something to work against nature, aka all these roly-polies, and save my plants, or I've just got to follow this path and take it where it goes, because it's kind of a long path, it takes some time. So, um, all I have to say, the political party is a structure that is basically created to transform ideology into reality and it it is not efficient uh, by any stretch of the imagination and to think that it is is laughable um so all that to say to think that this entity this creation which is not efficient which is subject to corruption which is subject to um the, the inefficiencies of losing its ideology, to think that this is truly the vehicle of God in the world is, again, completely incorrect. <laughs> uh, that, that's not the case. Now, can God use it? Absolutely. Does he use it? Absolutely. But to say that I have to defend this because this is what God is about 100%, again, that is idolatry. 
you're creating something for yourself to say, this is truly what's important. I'm going to come back after work and continue on this to finish it up. Um, stay tuned. And I'm back and at the risk of repeating myself. Um, again, these neutral structures are not, not the kingdom of God incarnate by any stretch of the imagination. They are part of the cosmos. They're part of elements that are within God's creation of structure but they are not there for us as Christians to be going out and defending and saying and, and much less fighting for and creating violence for um, to keep them going and pursuing their own aims as if it were the, the very same aims of God's will justice, mercy, and love so uh, I think we can pretty clearly state that with within these neutral structures, our role is not that of defender. Our role is not that of violent promoter. Our role is not that of um, violent obedience to. And this is where we're gonna. I'm gonna probably draw this to an end and leave this for the next episode. Is at what point do we say these neutral structures are worthy of resistance? How do we as Christians? Uh, are we supposed to resist these things? Are we supposed to fight against them? Are we supposed to wage war against them and destroy them and bring them into utter uh, destruction only to let, let God's creation rule in its place? Uh, that's going to be a whole different episode. So <laughs> that's where we're going on the next one. But for now, let's be clear that our role is not to um, defend and much less defend violently neutral structures. Uh, much, we need to understand that they do have a role within the creation as such. They are part of the cosmos. They're part of the order um, that God has set up. <clears throat> Nonetheless, the, if someone just creates a business, that even though it is a structure, uh, that does not mean it's necessarily God's business. It's something that's neutral. Um, and so uh, we need to understand it as such. That can be a very good thing. It can be something that supports uh, people and whatnot, and we need to recognize it as such. But as things get more and more and more powerful, and I don't want to be just uh, fall into the idea that scale is evil. That's not necessarily the case. But the temptation grows, and the temptation towards power, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, whether it's becoming second grade class president or whether it's going to be president of the United States or dictator of the world supreme, the temptation is the same. The scale is different, but the temptation is the same. It's the same heart issue. Uh, and we need to be aware that we need to submit all authority to Jesus and give him all authority that is due and all glory to him and not really to anything else. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I hope this is helpful. Again, next week we're going to look into should we be opposing these structures? Should we be seeking out to actively, violently destroy them. I think you kind of know the answer. But uh, what happens when these neutral structures really begin to present something that is not of God? Um, we talked about political parties. What happens when a political party is, is pursuing something that is not of God? What if it's a mixed bag? It's pursuing some things that are of God, some things that are not, and some things that are just kind of, it's not clearly defined. What do we do in that case? And this is where we enter into more real and real and real life and how we as Christians can shine and be a difference within the world and to those around us. So, stay tuned, everybody. Um, if you can vote, go vote. If you can't, then you can't. Don't worry about it.
there is a person that is absolutely ridiculous in front of me who's spinning out his wheels. All right, and I did not get in Iraq. Thank you, Lord. All right, have a wonderful day. Be blessed, do good, and we'll see you on the flip side.